Hey, welcome to the Rungi FBC Sermon Podcast. I'm really excited to see that you're seeking the Lord with your time and pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Before you listen, however, I just want to issue out a disclaimer. If at any point during this message you feel like you need to work for God's approval and salvation, stop and instead remember that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Always keep that in mind and you will be ready to receive from the Lord. Today we're going to continue our study on Hebrews by studying Hebrews 3, 7 through 19. So if you have a Bible, turn there and we'll begin. This message is entitled, Heart of Stone. Are you skating through life on your parents' beliefs? You know, most parents would consider it a great success if their children simply accepted their religious beliefs. Um, For example, we named our first child Christian. And the reason we did that is because... That's our ultimate desire for him, that he would be a follower of Christ. And that, you know, since he's the oldest, that the younger ones would follow him. I mean, I'm not going to act like we had put a lot of thought into his name, but honestly, that's what we wanted. We wanted him to be a Christian. And so we named him Christian. Now, I think it's interesting. When you consider a parent's hope that their children will believe what they believe, isn't it interesting that almost... No one wants to be accused of only believing what they believe because of their parents' influence. Regardless of how offensive it might be to say, you only believe because your parents believe, sometimes there are some compelling reasons why that might be true. Much of the time, we parents, we can put a lot of pressure on our children to adopt our belief systems. At least, that's how the world often views it. I mean, I've listened to, I don't know, countless, but I've listened to several atheists that plead with Christians. For example, Bill Nye, he pleads with Christians not to indoctrinate their children and not trying to teach them about God, which is a ridiculous request of him to make. And and who, who are you to really ask me not to teach my children what I believe is right? But to their point, I can see, you know, my children aren't my robots. They're individuals who should have freedom to explore their own beliefs without being indoctrinated. So I can see that side of it. But on the flip side, Of course I want them to believe what I believe. Because in my mind, I believe the truth. And if it wasn't true, I wouldn't believe it. I mean, what parent wants to steer their children towards lies? What loving parent would willingly let their children fall into a pit? And for me to say, you know, okay, Bill Nye, you can teach my children. That would be like, well, I know everything that I believe is a lie, so I'm not going to teach it to my children. I mean, no, no parent would willingly let their children fall into a pit. I think this is, uh, it should show us that we as parents, that we must be aware of the pressure that we're putting on our children to accept our beliefs, and and we should in turn give them freedom to explore. And, and you know, I know sometimes parents pressure their children not to reject their beliefs by withholding love from them. I know that's possible. Like We can find ways to cut off or punish our children for expressing any kind of opinion that is contrary to our beliefs. Some parents are terrified by questions that they might not be able to answer. You know, like, they're going to ask me something I don't know the answer to. And so instead of, of, of challenging them to explore those questions, they suppress them. You know, don't, don't dare ask a question about God. Some parents teach their children they should just simply believe what, uh, you know, whatever they believe without evidence. For in their minds, you know, faith is blind and, you know, shouldn't have any kind of logic, which is a ridiculous argument. 
Uh, now, I'm still a young dad. Don't get me wrong. I'm still a young dad. I don't have all the answers. But for what I've learned from other wise and godly parents is that we must be careful to give our children freedom to explore their beliefs without fear that we will punish them when they get it wrong. And they have to have freedom, and real freedom, to explore their beliefs. We must recognize an obvious truth that when children are forced to accept beliefs they aren't ready for and they have no stock in, if we force them to believe those things, that they're simply going to rebel and reject them altogether, maybe even forever. You know, this, this insecurity that we might have about what they believe or what we believe, it really can do some damage. Of all the people uh, listening to this, I, I, I think I am the prime candidate of being accused of simply believing what my parents taught me to believe. You know, my wife Erin and I, we're, we're both products of Christian parents. However, at least she can say that one set of grandparents was Lutheran and the other was Catholic. And both of her parents are non-denominational, and so she, she had a wide range of, of at least Christianity. I must admit that both sets of my grandparents and my parents were all from the Baptist denomination. Of course, in the realm of world religion and atheism, we would simply both be dismissed for believing Christianity because our parents were Christian. But how can we as adults know for certain that that's not true, that we didn't simply adopt what our parents believed because of their influence. How can we know for sure that we aren't skating through life with our parents' belief system? I, I think I can speak for Aaron and myself when I say that we were both given freedom to explore and ask questions. You know, Our parents welcomed our questions because they had confidence in Proverbs 22.6, which says, Train a child up in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Yes, our parents were Christian. But we were given freedom to explore what the rest of the world had to offer. However, our parents also warned us that the world is full of sin, and sin is deceptive. It offers what appears to be truth, but it has no validity to it. And we were taught to challenge authority and carefully test everything that we heard. We, we weren't suppressed into our faith. You know, as a parent, one of my worst fears is that my children will refuse my belief system and so I can, uh, you know, I, I totally get it. I understand the appeal of not giving them a choice. However, understanding that I can't truly control what they believe, I'm forced to do something with that. The question is what? Today as we examine Hebrews, I believe that there are some major applications, not only for what we as parents believe, but for children who have had parents that have influenced them to believe what they believe. Uh, which should, I think, just about include everybody listening. So today what we're going to learn is why it's so important to test our faith. However, if we're to test our faith, what do we do with verses like Hebrews 11.6, which says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if we're supposed to question our faith, what is it in Scripture that seems to present that faith should be certain and sure and unquestionable? Does this mean that we're supposed to blindly accept what our parents teach us? Is it okay to have questions about God or simply uh, to not accept something just because our parents say so or because it's in the Bible and the Bible says so? I mean, is that all right? Does, does the passage, uh, you know, uh, Hebrews eleven six does that mean that God is displeased with us and he will punish us, or worse, our children, if we or they exercise the slightest amount of doubt and skepticism? Well, 
I think we're going to be um, pleasantly surprised when we read Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19 today because it's going to help us find out. So I want to read this together. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. If you have a copy of Scripture, just turn there and you read along with me. Hebrews 3, 7 through 19 says, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts, and they did not know my ways. And I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you with an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you um, today and just ask God that you would show us the measure of faith that we might have. Father, whether it's full of faith and that, Father, we just need to be encouraging one another or whether it's shallow faith and we need to get our roots down deeper. God, that we just, maybe we even claim to have faith, but we have none. I pray, God, that you would just give us an honest reflection of ourselves. Father, the Holy Spirit might be communicating to us and through us, God, that, um, you know, we worry about our kids. Well, maybe we, we should be worrying about ourselves. Father, we, uh, we're going to lift all things up and place them in your hands, and I just ask, God, that you would just show us the truth today. We love you, Father, and all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's, it's important to once again mention that the author of Hebrews, he was writing a group of people who were Messianic Jews, Jews who had turned to Christianity, and they seemed to be considering uh, apostasy, that they would abandon their faith in Christ and return back to Judaism. You see, in the book of Hebrews, there are actually five warnings to the readers uh, of which we have arrived on the second one. The first one was when the author um, told them in Hebrews 2.1, uh, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we would not drift away from it. Which ties well to the second warning here in Hebrews 3.15, today when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's actually in verse 12 where he says, Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you with an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. So you can drift away and you can fall away. So, I mean, we need to be paying attention to that. Now, when initially reading this whole passage, we might begin to get the picture that God doesn't really like to be challenged or that he punishes people who doubt. But upon closer examination, we can discover that the people talked about in this passage were used an example, not for questioning God, but for being guilty of something else entirely. Is it wrong to question God and doubt? We have to understand there is a huge difference between doubt, which is what we all experience, 
and disbelief, which is what these people in this passage are used as an example of. Doubt is when you begin to question whether something you believe is legitimate or not. Like, I have my doubts. I, I believe this, but I have my doubts. So, is this true or not? Disbelief, or unbelief, if you will, is the flat-out rejection or the flat-out refusal of that belief system. Heard a guy say, I have no beliefs. I have no beliefs. You know, I've rejected what the storyteller has said. Now, that doesn't mean that he has no beliefs. It simply means that he believes that what the storyteller says, which would be me, I guess is what he means, that he doesn't believe, or he believes that what I'm saying is not true. So he does have beliefs. He just doesn't accept the beliefs of what maybe someone like me would say. Now, this passage, it cites the example of the Hebrew people that's found in Numbers 14. The Israelites, they were brought up out of Egypt by Moses and God. After witnessing God bring ten plagues upon their enemy um, that, that led to their deliverance. Almost said twelve. Just ten. Ten plagues. They got to witness all ten of the plagues on Egypt. They witnessed the pillar of fire that, 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 that was by night and the pillar of smoke by day as God led them out of Egypt towards Mount Sinai. They got to see God split the Red Sea so they could walk through it on dry ground. I mean, they got to witness this. They got to witness God destroy the Egyptian army when he left the water fall down upon them. I'm going to take a little sidebar here. Uh, I heard people had said before that you know that the, God didn't lead the Moses. Uh, Moses didn't lead the Israelites through the, the Red Sea. He led them through the Reed Sea, which was only ankle deep. And my question is, is like, well, how did Pharaoh and his army get destroyed you know like all right guys you need to lay down put your face in the water okay it's only ankle deep so we're gonna have to drown here it's a ridiculous argument these israelites got to witness god split the waters and the waters came back on the egyptian army and they were delivered so far they had seen god provide for them in supernatural ways when they were thirsty god gave them water when they were hungry god supernaturally gave them bread when they were in danger and attacked by armies god supernaturally gave them victory there's no way they should have won, but they kept winning consistently. And see, they were brought up to the border of the promised land, and 12 spies went in to inspect the land, but discovered there were giants living there. And they didn't want to go in because they were afraid, or maybe because they were guilty of something else. We're going to read this passage real quick in Numbers 14. Listen to this. It says, um, <clears throat> So they got up to the land. So Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people uh, people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? It's just incredible. They've experienced all this stuff. This is what they're saying. Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it be, not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of uh, Jephunneh, I can't say that guy's name, but anyway, uh, J-Man, that, that those 
who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes. So Joshua and, and Caleb, they tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation and the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy on is exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. For their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of the meeting to all the sons of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me, despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst. Now notice in verse 11, this last verse, that God says they refused to believe in him despite all the miraculous signs and wonders that he did in their midst. Despite showing up in person, they refused to believe in him. Now when God talked about disbelief, he wasn't talking about whether they believed he existed or not. There was not a question in their minds whether or not he existed. So in Numbers 14.10 it says, Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. They got to see God. In our culture it seems just to be an acceptable dismissal of belief to say, Well, I believe that God exists. I just don't believe everything the Bible says. But James 2.19 says, You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and they shudder. (coughs) You see, when they refuse to believe in God... It didn't mean that they refused to believe that God exists. For they got to witness his works. They got to even see him in person. They didn't doubt he existed. They refused to believe in him that they would not trust in him. And so in Hebrews 3, these Jewish Christians are also challenged in the very same way not to harden their hearts in disbelief. Not in a God doesn't exist sort of disbelief, but in a, in a I am hardening my heart because I refuse to trust in God sort of disbelief. It's like when we understand the difference uh, between um, you know doubting and, and disbelief. It's only when we understand the difference between those two things that we can discern verses like Hebrews 3, 8 through 9, which says, Do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. As in the days of, of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. We have to understand the difference between doubting and disbelief. Because in this passage, he's talking about disbelief. Is this verse saying that it's wrong to test God? Well, in Scripture, God shows us there are two kinds of testing him, and he shows us the difference between the two. For example, when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, where he responds, For it is written, you should not put your Lord to God to the test. What was Satan trying to get him to do? He was trying to get him to jump off a high place so that the angels would catch him. So from that verse, we can see it's wrong to test God, right? Well, if so, what do we do with verses like Malachi 3.10 that says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in the house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I do not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Is that just a verse that the church just added in the Bible so they get all your money? Not hardly. This verse shows there is a difference between testing God and putting him to the test. What is the difference? 
One says, God made a promise, so I'm going to try to use that promise to manipulate him to do what I want. And then question his reliability of whether or not he's meeting my expectations. The other says, Lord, I'm going to trust you in this, and I'm going to wait to see what you do with it. So you see, one is rooted in faith, and the other isn't. Listen, God does not mind showing off. I'm convinced that God loves showing off. God loves showing his power so that he gets the glory. Notice in this passage it says they tested God in the wilderness for 40 years God showed them his amazing power. The issue is that they had hardened their hearts against God knowing that he existed. They were just unwilling to trust him. In Numbers 14, we saw they would rather have gone back to slavery in Egypt than to trust in him. They said, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. So in Hebrews 3.11, we see the author mention how as a result of their disbelief, God refused to allow them to enter into his rest. We waited, uh, you know, every, uh, I, I think it's interesting. God waited until every single person of that generation had died before allowing them to enter the the promised land. He led them around in the wilderness for 40 years because of their disbelief, but he continued to show them his great power. Now, and, and our author, he writes in verse 12, take care, brethren, that, that there not be any one of you with an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. So there you go. Just trust God and don't doubt him, right? Take a closer look at verse 13. It says, But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, the issue isn't that we should never question God when we're put into situations that it's difficult to trust Him. No, the issue is that disbelief is rooted in our love of sin. If we reject Jesus, if we reject trusting God, it is rooted in our love of sin. Jesus put it this way, John three nineteen. he says, This is the verdict, light is coming to the world, but men love darkness because their deeds were evil. We don't sin because of it's expected of us. We sin because we love it. This is something we don't talk about near enough in church. Sin can be really fun. It can be really enjoyable. Sin is extremely pleasurable. Nobody sins out of duty. We do it because it feels good. But as we'll later discover in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, the pleasure of sin is deadly, it's costly, it's deceptive. When we refuse to trust God in every single case, it is because we love the pleasure of sin. I remember having the hardest time surrendering my drug addiction over to the Lord. For years, I felt his calling over my life, but I just wasn't willing to repent from drug abuse to answer his call. Number one, I didn't know if I was, you know, what I was going to do with, quote, all my time if I didn't have sin to enjoy. And number two, one of the main reasons I was doing drugs is because I didn't want to go back and face all the heartache that I had faced in my childhood uh, or that I experienced. I was not wanting to go back and talk about those things. I needed an escape. And so if I didn't have that escape, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I just didn't trust that God was going to get me through it. Now, don't get me wrong. I 
loved drugs. I loved drugs so much that I hated anyone who tried to get between me and my drugs, including my own mother. See, the love of sin, it hardens your heart into a heart of stone. You are unwilling to change your behavior. And a heart of stone cannot hear the promptings of the Holy Spirit. A heart of stone refuses to submit to God. And the sad truth is, is that in my drug addiction, I would have argued the whole time that I was a Christian because I believed in God and I prayed, quote, all the time. Yet there is a major difference between believing in God that he exists and believing in God and that you're trusting him with your life. And the first isn't really belief. You believe that God exists. Good. Even the demons believe that, as James says. We see the difference in verse 14 when he says, For we have become partakers in Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. That one two-letter word carries with it so much controversy and debate. We saw the same word in last week's text, Hebrews 3.6, but Christ was faithful in his son over all his house, whose house we are if we hold fast to our confidence and boast of our hope firm until the end. Notice that uh, you see not only the if conjunction, but um, you see the phrase firm until the end in both passages. The connotations here isn't that a person can lose their salvation, but that the author is giving the means by which we can test whether or not we are truly saved. God is not opposed to testing our faith. He encourages us to test our faith. What the author is saying is that we can know that we're saved if we trust in the Lord and hold fast to the assurance of our faith. What gives us the assurance of our faith? Knowing that Jesus Christ died for our sins. What is the assurance in that? We have assurance when we see evidence in our life. We have a lifestyle that is consistently turned over to trusting the Lord in faith. Unless you have that, you don't have assurance. Now, do not misunderstand what I'm saying. I am not saying that you keep your salvation by works. What I'm telling you is is that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. And if we are not doing good works, it takes the carpet out from underneath our feet that we have no assurance of our salvation. Knowing that Christ, that we are saved through Christ alone, by Christ alone, through grace alone, through faith alone, and and that we can't do anything to earn our salvation, but there is an effect that happens in our life. This passage is best understood by recognizing the argument the author is making the rest of his passage. He says in verses 14 through 18, this is what he says. He says, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those were disobedient? So we see they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Who? The Jews that you guys want to go back to. 
the Jews that did not believe God. It is so incredibly important for us to see this truth. He calls the readers to recognize who it is that was tested, who tested God in their unbelief. It was the Jews. Was it not all those who were led out of Egypt? They believed in God when it came to an escape from slavery, but they refused to believe in God when it came to turning over sin that had enslaved them. How many professing Christians want the mercy and forgiveness so that of God so they don't have to go to hell? But, but when it come, comes to actually turning their hearts over to Him, they have hard hearts toward Him when it comes to the daily fellowship with Him. They, 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 just, they believe that He exists, but they don't have true belief and that they can live for Him. That they will turn everything over to Him. These Israelites well, they were unable to enter into God's rest because of their disbelief. And at the root of their disbelief was the, their love of sin. Now I want you to understand what kind of dog I have in this fight for faith. It's so incredibly important for me to not only believe, but also for my children to adopt my beliefs about how Jesus is the answer for every question you might have. I want my children to believe that Jesus died on a cross because of their sin. And if they trust in him, not just initially, but with their lives, they will have eternal life. If they believe in Jesus, not just in thought, but in action, they will enter into rest. I believe I've discovered the source of eternal life in Christ Jesus and it scares me at times to think that my children will repeat some of my mistakes or look for life in other places. But then scripture tells us that we are to train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not soon depart from it. Well, how do I train a child? How do I train my boys? Well, I can't just tell them what they should do. We try doing that all the time. I'll tell you something. Like, for example, hey, you're going to have to wash the dishes. Get in there and wash the dishes. I'll walk you through it. No, you have to get in there and show them. I can't just tell them the way that they should go. I have to show them. In other words, if I want my child to be willing to repent from the sin that they love so much and trust in the Lord, then I have to repent from the sin that I love so much and trust in the Lord. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not at any point in my uh, saying that you know that 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 we keep our kids saved by how saved we are. And I'm not at the point in my life where my my boys are old enough to be prodigal sons. I, I let me tell you something, it keeps me up at night thinking that I might do something or I have done something that will that will turn them away from God. And I know that, that, that maybe some listening have experienced this and it, and it rips our hearts out when our children just, they're not sold on our beliefs. And if you've heard my testimony, you know that I was one of those children. I was a prodigal son. You know, I never... I'll never forget the way that my dad responded whenever I finally confessed that I was doing drugs. You know what he did? He started to cry. I used to think he cried because he was so ashamed of me. Now, as a parent, I can see he cried because he felt like he had failed me when in truth I had failed him. You know, even though I fell into a pit, my dad, for his many faults, he never abandoned me. 
He loved me and he offered me help. My dad regularly prayed for me. And I'm convinced that if my father had responded with indignation and disgust and he pushed me away and you're no son of mine, I probably would have died in my drug addiction. And I've not yet felt the sting of having to watch my children walk away from the faith I cling to so tightly. And I pray I never do. However, if they do, I hope that I'm able to respond with the same level of love and grace and forgiveness that my own father showed me when I walked away from his faith. And this will only be possible when I recognize that trusting God means that I have to trust him in all aspects of my life. Not their life, my life. I have to trust him with everything, including and especially my kids. My mom and dad, they trusted God with me, and here I am, in faith, speaking to you now. God is capable of shattering the hardest of hearts, and I can testify to that. Whether we are parents or not, we have to recognize that our parents' faith, they're not, it's not going to save us. Our parents can't trust in Jesus for us. We must believe in him ourselves. We can't be lazy about our faith. You know, God encourages us to examine questions that we have regarding faith. Listen, he wants to wrestle with us over these issues of faith and doctrine. He wants to wrestle with us. However, when we ask these questions, we must ask in accordance to faith. We must not step out in God's promises demanding that he fills our desires. You have to, God. You said you would. And then we question whether he's you know, a legitimate God or not. Rather, we must step out in God's promises humbly, offering all of ourselves to him in eager expectation that he will show up. On a side note, I had to go into office hours the other day for the first time in a while. And uh, when I got home, Erin told me that she had an incredible conversation with my Christian. And I'm like, really? You know, what What, what did you guys talk about? And she tells me that um, apparently he came to her at one point in the night and he said, Mommy, I'm afraid to go to hell and I just don't want to go there. <laughs> and so Erin talked with him and she told him about Jesus. And by the end of the conversation, not only did Christian ask Aaron, you know, Mommy, will you teach me how to pray? I mean, he's six years old. Not only did he do that, Pete runs up and says, Mommy, I'm afraid I'm going to go to hell too. And so she talked with him and she prayed with him too. And after hearing about this conversation, I had three strong reactions to it when I heard it. First, I felt like, you know, I really missed out that Aaron gets to have all of the good conversations that I really want to be a part of. I, I miss out on that. Second, I, I, you know, I was just in awe. Because I've never, never once put the fear of hell in them in order to get them to believe. I don't think I've even talked to them about hell. But you know, and I'm sure we don't talk about that in children's church. At least I don't think so. Whoever's telling my kids they're going to hell, <laughs> I guess I should be thankful. You know, I, I really don't believe that anybody's done that with my boys. Yet God still communicated that message to them. And I, I just, I understand it all. Like God is amazing. You know, although Aaron, that's the third reaction, after Aaron told me this, and I kind of got over this initial feeling like, man, I missed out. 
She gets to have all the cool conversation with the boys. You know, I'm just convinced that instead of being the one to simply tell them about salvation, that Aaron and I, we both have to lead them to Christ by having a life that is in accordance with the belief that we claim. And we're going to pray that they never just agree with us in order they might feel accepted. But instead, through the power of God, that they might come to Him and surrender in belief. I want to ask, what about you? What what do you believe? Why do you believe it? Are you willing to surrender to full belief in God? You can say you believe, but does your life match your mouth? If not, then understand you will never enter into God's rest until you surrender your sin. You're not earning your salvation by turning over your sin. You're trusting Him in faith by turning over your sin. We must repent and turn to Him. Don't try to skate through life with your parents' beliefs. There is an invitation for you to come today. Give your heart of stone to Him and surrender your life over to Him in true belief. Well, I hope this message has been an encouragement to you and that you have a renewed purpose and dedication to trust in the Lord and serve Him. Please feel free to download our church app so that you never miss another message by searching FBC Rungi in the Apple App Store or Google Play. We at Rungi First Baptist Church are here to take root, grow, and bear fruit. So if you'd like to join with us in our mission, then let's get out there and bring glory to God.